Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here. If you would, take your Bible and open Romans, the first chapter. We will have passages on the screen, but uh, we'll be studying quite a bit in just a moment out of Romans 1, and I'd like for you to see it out of your own Bible if you have it, and uh, maybe uh, we can definitely learn what God would want us to learn from our study tonight. It is a blessing to be a part of a church family that is evangelistic, a church family that loves God and loves souls and loves reaching out to souls. This morning at the late service, what we were able to see Santino being baptized was just amazing uh, to, to hear his story of being a lost boy uh, from Sudan and then to make his way to America and to, then uh, by Ken Thomas to be introduced to Jesus Christ and then to be baptized into Christ this morning is amazing. It is amazing when someone's heart is open and honest and they meet individuals that have an eye for those they're searching. Uh, what a wonderful example. I want to encourage you to be looking for someone this week that would benefit greatly from a word from God. What could you say to lift up God this week in the eyes of others? We continue a topic that is definitely on the minds of America I'm not saying that it ought to be on the mind of America to the extent that it is, but that's just the facts. When we look at the topic of homosexuality and we consider the news reports, even just over the last few days, on this next screen you're going to see three different reports and on the next screen you'll see three more. These are just headlines that when I was writing this sermon on Thursday and Friday of this week, when I would go to msn.com, I would just cut and paste anytime I saw a story that was a lead story. In other words, I didn't do a Google search because then we could list hundreds of screens about stories. In a two-day period of time, with one exception of one that was not on the screen of MSN, but it was on a local screen, RG3, Robert Griffin says, it's time for homosexual NFL players to come out. The window is open. The next one, gay couples ask judges to legalize same-sex marriage in New Jersey. A high, school, a high school soccer player said that he was sodomized as a teen in a hazing ritual and uh, is holding the coaches responsible because they were nearby aware of what was happening. On the next screen, we see that a boxer is marrying his boyfriend. On the bottom of that screen, we see that a wrestler is also coming out and announcing that to the world that he's homosexual. On the middle of that screen, this came from the Tennessean, and it was in the Wilson County edition, and it was Wilson Central High School Gay Lesbian Straight Club seeks a faculty sponsor. And the one that they thought that they had to be their sponsor has apparently moved. And they don't know if they will have a faculty leader to sponsor this. This is a sin that God speaks of openly in the scriptures. It is one when we look this morning at same-sex marriages and then we looked at what is oftentimes in America called the traditional view of marriage, which this morning we identified that we're much probably more accurate to define it as holy matrimony. We discussed the fact of how important it is to look at the origin of these things. It reveals a lot to us. What I'd like for us to do tonight is not only look at the origin, but also at the present and of the future. On this next screen, we have the idea of destination X. 
Where does this lead America? This past week I read of several civilizations that some scholars say that the very openness to homosexuality led to their demise. They named, they named empires like Greece or Rome. And then of course the question would be would America become some, so open to sexual perversions that God would no longer protect her. As we think about the destination, it is interesting that judges have oftentimes considered this lately as they have tried to rule, they've tried to make a decision of whether or not to rule in favor of same-sex marriages or in opposition of same-sex marriages. There have been a few judges that have said the testimony by experts that children they are just as well off in homosexual parenting couples as among heterosexual parenting couples. And because that the studies of professionals have proven that it is the same outcome, they have ruled in favor of same-sex marriage. I want to take just a moment tonight and then we're going to go right into Romans 1. I hold an article here that I found on the Witherspoon Institute and it was an article that was written about a year ago. And it is revealing that it's written by Matthew Frank. And it is about a study that was in-depth research on the topic, does the family model have anything to do with the outcome of children? What effect does it have and what outcome does it have? And if there is a difference in the outcome, which model has the greatest or most desired effect upon children? And this particular study was very in-depth, very scientific, and it studied eight different models that children would grow up here in America. The gentleman's name is Mark Regeneris of the University of Texas that led this particular study. And the idea was to have the highest standards of research in social science to see for the first time, now this is what I want you to see, to see for the first time what the studies would reveal. Now keep in mind, past studies have been presented to judges and they've been presented as creditable studies by experts. But there was another gentleman or another professor named Lauren Marks of Louisiana State University that studied all of the recent studies that had been presented as credible works. And what that research found was not one study was credible. There were defects respect, respecting sampling size, sampling strategy, statistical power, and effect sizes. Their methods would not hold up against the rigor of scientific evidence. And so the result was, the desire was, to create a study that everyone would agree it was scientific. And so many that were advocates of homosexual marriages were asked to help create the parameters of what should be in this study. And so as Mark led this study, now there are many individuals on every side of the, the scope of the design of family that agree that it is a credible, reliable, scientific study. 
Now, you will not be surprised at what the findings was. The finding was that the most reliable source of raising children, in other words, the most positive effect upon children is an intact biological family headed by a man and a woman married to each other throughout the raising of their own children is indeed the most secure environment for child development. Now keep in mind, this is not done from any prejudice or vision, if you will, of, of Christian faith foundation. This is a scientific study and the result was strongly that men and women that are married to each other, raising their own children, has the greatest or the positive effect upon children. Then, in this particular article, he shows the review of three experts that in the past had used the weaker studies that really had no credibility and you're tempted here to throw in, they knew it, but we won't throw that in. And they stood before judges and they testified. And so they asked them, will you review how you think this new study is and how it should be used? And you know, it's, it's absolutely amazing. And, and two of these experts, one was in on the design of this study and the other was in on creating and executing this study. So they're heavily involved in it. And I'd like to read to you what they said. Uh, I'll be reading to you from Paul Amato and David Egebin. Both of those are Penn State and Cynthia Osborne, and that's of the University of Texas. And so they are reviewing the new family structure study for the advancing our knowledge of child-rearing outcomes from various kinds of families. Amato says... It would be unfortunate if the findings from the Regenerous study were used to undermine the social progress that has been made in recent decades into, in protecting the rights of gays, lesbians, and their children. The legality of same-sex marriages is a constitutional issue and not one that should be decided on the basis of social science research. And then still talking about how it shouldn't be used to determine about same-sex marriage. Then he says, too much attention has been given to this evidence. Now, I should have told you before reading this, they don't question the accuracy of this research. It's too definite. The method was too strong. So they don't question it at all. But did you notice what he said? In other words, when there was made-up numbers... They were all about advocating it and taking it to judges and saying, let's arrive to destination X. And that is, it'll be good for our children. And then when the evidence proved, no, it is not best for the children of America, all of a sudden, we don't need to use the research anymore. That study, even though it's accurate, it shouldn't be considered. I want to interrupt just for just a moment, and I want to say this. After reading for a few weeks now, and even for a few months now, on this particular topic of, of the sexual revolution in general, not just this narrow topic, but the sexual revolution in general, I want to tell you something that just angers me. 
Out of the 60s came, of course, the feminist movement as the idea that women are going to be better off. And since the 60s, women are not better off. And then, of course, it was the idea that everyone was going to be better off. And we look at the, the high mark of addiction in men. Men are not better off. But this is the one. All of the evidence, all of the evidence points that for children, it has been horrific. Every study from every angle of the sexual revolution proves that children come out on the bottom. Children are hurt over and over. Children are neglected. And every time that evidence is presented, experts say we don't need to look at the numbers. Brethren, we can talk about sin and what we need to recognize is that when God recognizes something as sin, it's because it hurts people. God is trying to protect us from sin because sin hurts us and then we, in participating in it, always hurt other people. And this is just a perfect example of it right here. Osborne said, given the sensitive, the sensitive political and cultural environment surrounding same-sex relationships, preliminary findings of differences, which, which by the way, what they referred to, and I, I don't think I said this at the beginning of reading this article, they called the no difference thesis is what they call. In other words, they've been going to judges and they've been saying there is no difference. There's the no difference thesis. So now the quote here is, now that we have found that there is differences, in other words, there's no difference, there is differences, says the finding of the differences, such as those reported by Regeneris, should not be used to support punitive legislation aimed at limiting the family formation and fertility choices of gays and lesbians. Oh, now that we've found out that it really does hurt children, we don't need to use the research. It is unbelievable that respectful scientists would say, let's stop using research now that we have proven it hurts children. Egebin couldn't hardly give an accurate quote uh, or couldn't even give a statement about it because you could tell that to him or to her that it was so offensive. The findings were. Where does it lead us? We spent time this morning talking about the origin of it. But where does it lead us today and where does it lead us tomorrow? Oh, we could... We could look at studies and surveys all night and all day tomorrow and the next day. But let's go to God's word. God's word never goes out of date. The nature of man, the struggles that we have, and when we bow to sin, the outcome is always the same. It was the same 2,000 years ago, and if God wills time, it'll be the same 1,000 years from now also. And when we decide to live a righteous life, and we decide to live within the guidelines that God gives us of, 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 of holy matrimony, the results, the results of sowing and reaping are always the same. They've been the same in the past, they're the same today, and they'll be the same tomorrow. And so we go to Romans, the first chapter, and I'd like for you to begin with me. And it's going to sound a lot, not so far as the exact words, but in principle, it's going to sound a lot like this morning's lesson. Where do you think he's going to begin here as in just a moment he's going to lead to individuals in, in a, a perverted sexual revolution? Where do you think he's going to start? Would it surprise you if I said he's going to start with who's the God of creation? 
I'm not making it up. That's what he does. Look at Romans, the first chapter and verse 20. For since the creation of the world, see, he's going back to Genesis 1. We've got to know the God of creation. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made. In other words, look around and see the power of God and you know, look at that, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse. When we know about God and we know about creation, we're without excuse. Oh, we can decide to leave God, but we're without excuse. We cannot look at creation and say, well, I never dreamt that someone had to make this. No, we cannot look at things that are designed and say, I never dreamt that there must have been a designer. God says we're without excuse. We turn our back on God. We're without excuse. 21, this is how they turned their back on God. This is a stairwell down, the staircase down. Because although they knew God, this is how they started moving away. They did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but became futile, morally depraved in their thoughts. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Think about the word darkened there as it has to do with knowledge. They were not enlightened anymore with truth is what is happening. And so their foolish heart was darkened. And notice their condition. Their, their foolish heart is darkened, but they're professing to be wise. They became fools. And changed, in just a moment, we're going to come back and look at these words that deal with change or exchange, and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave, we'll look at this and after we look at the other, God gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Here we are, the word exchange, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, now we have another God gave them up phrase, God gave them up to vile passions for even their women exchanged the natural use of what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, here it is again, God gave them up over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. First, let's consider what a godless people do. We can look at origin, we can look at the future, but at the present time, what do godless people do? Number one, we see in verse 24, we see the fact that I'm sorry, back in 23, in 23, and they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man. You see, the first thing they have to do is rip Genesis 1 out of their Bible. They have to say, you know what, I'm not going to believe in an almighty God of creation anymore. 
Now, I'm going to say some things tonight that's very much common sense, but it doesn't take away from the truth or the power of them. If you leave the Almighty God to go to another God, can you go to another Almighty God? Of course not. So if you leave the Almighty God, you have to come down to a God that you create. There's not another God to go to. And so they changed the glory. In other words, here's the almighty God that is the creator, the one that spoke all of us into existence. So therefore, we should listen to his words. But instead, I'm going to create a God. No one here can create an eternal God. No one here can create an almighty God. You can create an idol. You can create your own God spelt with a little G, but your God will never have more power than you have. If you can make... A heaven, you can create a God that makes a heaven. But if you can't make a heaven, you can't create a God that makes a heaven. You can create a God and you can name it. And you can dream up its origin and lie to people about where this God came from. But the point is, we're going to have to copy things of creation just to create our God. And so number one, he says, you've left God. Now when you leave God, look at verse 25. We see the word exchange. See, they changed their God. And then in 25, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Again, common sense. You leave the truth, what do you go to? You can't leave the truth and go to other truth. Keep in mind, you left the truth. And so if you leave the truth, the only thing you can go to is a lie. And so what they did was they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. For example, based on this morning's lesson, I don't think there's anything wrong with same-sex genders marrying each other. Someone says, well, have you not read Genesis 2? Do you not know how all of this holy institution of marriage began? Do you not know that it's an institution designed and created by God? It's, it's divine. Do you not know that? And someone could honestly say, oh, it's that I don't believe that. I don't care. In other words, I don't believe it. Yes, I've left the truth. And when you leave the truth, there's only one thing to believe. A lie. So first you have to tear out Genesis 1 and exchange your God. I'm going to leave the almighty God and go to a God I create. Number two, when I leave God, I'm going to rip out Genesis 2. And that is, I'm going to leave the truth and I'm going to go, and now there's all kind of lies out there to believe. Well, when we change our God and we change what we believe, what is always going to be the next thing that changes? Behavior. And behavior is always going to become immoral. And so let's look here at verse 26 and notice the next time that the word exchanged is used. For this reason, and that reason was because they left God and exchanged the truth for a lie. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. In other words, the natural is what God created, that, that God said, if you practice this, this intimate sexual relationship with, with your husband, women, that is a beautiful and wonderful thing. You leave the natural and you go to the unnatural, it is immoral. And he says, you've changed your God, you've changed your truth for a lie, and you have changed the moral 
for immoral. That is always the digression. Today, think outside. That's, that's the digression of any sin. You and I must realize how important it is for us as Christians to have a faithful relationship with God. It is our faithful relationship with God that keeps us hungry for the truth. And it is that faithful relationship with God that keeps us hungry for the truth that gives us the guidance and the conviction to live moral lives. If you leave and lose that relationship with God, you will eventually leave the truth and you will eventually live an immoral life in some way. That's what we do. But where does it lead us? What is destination X for these people? For these people, let's look at what God does. We've looked at what they did. Let's look what God does to the godless. In verse 24, we see that the phrase that God gave them up. In other words, there comes a time where God says, I'm not protecting you anymore. I'm not putting a hedge around you anymore. Instead, you will receive the full consequences, the sowing and the reaping. They're all yours. So what does he do? Notice here, he gives them up to what? Uncleanness. And notice how it's in the lust of their hearts and it is to dishonor their bodies. If we were to look here at America and just guess that maybe when some of these things happened, it would probably definitely be in the 60s that this took place. Where God gave up to say, look, if you as a nation want to become perverted, you take and you run with the lust of your heart. He uses the word uncleanness. In other words, all of these perversions, all of these things that are just simply wrong, that in some way they are some way tied to the, to the sexual immorality. And so when we look at all of the perversions, we look at pornography, we look at all of these things, we see God is, is saying, I'll give you up. If that's what you want is a sexual revolution, I'll, I'll give you up to that. But keep in mind, as many that are involved in it say, this is wonderful. God is saying, you're dishonoring your own body. Now, a couple, last week we talked about the importance of the body that it is made by God and it is made to be used in ways that are honorable to the creator. When you think of someone coming out of the military, as we have a young man here that's done that just recently out of the Marines, there's a huge difference in someone that has served honorably and their time is served and someone that is dismissed dishonorably. There is a huge difference and someone that uses their body in an honorable way and someone who is shameful, someone who has dishonored God. Now, keep in mind what we're doing on this screen is, is we're looking at that movement 
that digression of God giving over. But if I can interrupt just to show you two other words as we think about dishonoring, I'd like for you to notice how here in, in 24, as, as it's leading up to homosexuality, he says it's dishonoring the body. In other words, it's using the body in, in a shameful way. Look at verse 26 when he says that God gave them up to vile passions. That word vile there also deals with shameful. If you do a root study on that, it deals with shameful. In other words, you have passions that you ought to be ashamed of but if you're on the wrong track, you wouldn't be ashamed of these. And then when we go to 27, when he's deep down into that verse, and he's talking about men with men committing what is shameful. You see, when God gives this writing of, of this sexual immorality, and especially he's focusing, especially on homosexuality here, he continues to use words that describe it's a dishonor of the body. In other words, you're bringing shame to your body and to the one who created your body. The, the desire that you have is, is dishonorable. So now let's, let's go back to this point though. What does God do? He says, I'm going to give you up. And the first thing that he says in 24 is I'm going to give you up to uncleanliness in in your life. But then notice as we go to 26, he says, I'm going to give you up to vile passions. And if you notice the context now in 26 and 27, he has clearly moved this discussion to the center point of homosexuality. So first, it's almost as if he were speaking in general to say that I'm going to give you up to all types of uncleanness. But then he says, honing in a little more, Maybe, in fact, it's a digression, as we've seen in America. In other words, what was accepted about homosexualities in the 60s and 70s doesn't look anything in America like what is accepted today, even though we were one in two decades within the sexual revolution. It was a digression. It took time. And so now we have this digression. He says, first, it's going to be just the generalness of uncleanness, but then it's going to move into something very specific. And he talks about homosexuality here. And God again says, I'm going to give you up to that. Now, it is also interesting when he says, I'm going to give you up, what he's going to allow uh, homosexuals to also suffer at the end of verse 27 and receiving in themselves the penalty of the error which was due them. We know for every sin there is sowing and reaping, but God seems to point out here in this that there's some penalty that is directly associated with homosexuality here. And he doesn't elaborate on what it is. And so is that just the general usage of sowing and reaping or is it something greater? In other words, are there greater harmful effects that a person brings into their life when they practice this life? And we know that they, at least in recent years, there've been a lot of serious illnesses come out of it. Now, I'd like for you to see the, the third thing, and that's the sixth point tonight. And so we need to start wrapping it up. Look at verse 28. We see him saying, God gave them over again. And notice this time he says, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. It's things that are not appropriate. And what did he do? He gave them over to a debased mind. What's a debased mind? A debased mind literally means wasted. And so we move from, from a sexual revolution to a homosexual revolution to saying your mind is no longer any good. You remember Genesis, the sixth chapter? Every thought of their imagination was wicked. That's kind of the picture that he's pointing out here. You get to the point where every thought you have 
or thoughts that God says, there's nothing good about that thought. There's nothing pure. There's nothing holy. There's nothing truthful about that. And so when we ask God, where does this lead as a society? And he says, eventually, it leads to wasted minds and wasted lives. But it doesn't have to end that way. And that's something I want to emphasize to you again before we close here. In 1 Corinthians, the sixth chapter, we read this last week. I want you to see it again. We've got to believe this. It's powerful. It's beautiful. I want you to notice in verse 11, he says, and such were some of you. In other words, past tense. We used to be these things, he's saying to the people at Corinth. And he's saying, though, you're not these things anymore. Well, what were the things? Let's back up to verse nine. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God. And now he gives a list of things that would make us unrighteous. Do not be deceived. And it's interesting how that is usually in context with these lists because some way we have a way of listening to people that tell us it's not really that bad. And so he lists what at first seems to be sexual sins, but notice in the middle of these sexual sins is idolatry. We know that in many pagan religions that sexuality was very much immoral, immoral sexuality was very much a part of their practices. But on the other hand, I can't help but believe that there's something in addition, if not even deeper than that. And that is, as people go deeper into sexual immorality, it becomes their idol. And, and so notice here he says, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, and notice we have two different words here. Nor homosexuals, the dominant, nor sodomites, the submissive. Some societies believe there was only sin in one of those. He clarifies it's both. Nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. Sin will separate us from God. We look at a list like this that has heavy effects on the lives of people, families, and societies. And so maybe there's someone that's carrying some of that heavy burden of those things and they feel the weight of it and they cry out, is there anything that I could do to be right with God? And the answer is beautiful and it's powerful and it's for certain. In 11, and such were some of you, but you were washed, no doubt, talking about the cleansing of being washed by Christ's blood that we meet in the waters of baptism. But you were sanctified. That's called out of the world to live a different life, set apart. It's the idea of holiness. You were justified just as if you never sinned. We could be guilty of any of those things in verse nine. Any sins and God can justify us in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the spirit of our God. Why would he begin that by saying, do not be deceived? I want to give you one example, and then the lesson is yours. You probably noticed this, at least some of, you, some of you on the news, back just a few weeks ago, the former archbishop, Desmond Tutu, he is of the Anglican, formerly he was the archbishop of the Anglican Church in South Africa, I think. And... And this was a quote that he made in a presentation just a few weeks ago that made heavily on the news. And, and imagine religious people looking up to him as a religious leader and saying, okay, I guess, I guess those things are okay. I guess we're okay. 
He said, I would refuse to go to a homophobic heaven. No, I would say sorry. I mean, I would much rather go to the other place. I would not worship a God who is homophobic. And that is how deeply I feel about this. He spoke his peace, but God has spoke his peace. And today we have not had the time to talk about, although we've said it, we haven't emphasized it. God loves every sinner. And of audience this size, there would be several that have struggles with homosexuality. And it's not that this sin is so much greater than any other sin. But it is a sin in our culture today that is being exalted. It's a sin that if you listen to culture, you could easily be deceived. And so our study today has not been to motivate anyone to be stirred to anger, to lash out at anyone. But it is an effort to remind all of us that in a world that is lying to us every day, God has spoken clearly on this matter. He has spoken clearly on all sexual sins. You and I must decide where we're going to stand. When it costs us our job, where are we going to stand? When it costs us a friendship, where are we going to stand? When it causes a neighbor that lives beside us to no longer like us, where are we going to stand? Now keep in mind, we should never lose the job or, or lose a friend because we have acted in a hateful way or an ungodly way. But brethren, it's already here and it's coming very soon to be magnified. This is going to be a topic that distinguishes Christianity. Already in this area, since the Marriage of Defense Act was no longer upheld. A preacher in a denomination has already been fired because he preached that we should defend the marriages to be only between a man and a woman. Acts 4, they were thrown into jail. Peter and John because they stood up for what was right and when they came out of jail they gathered the church together and they prayed and they didn't pray for the persecution to stop go read it tonight it's powerful they prayed for boldness to stand I want to encourage you to show the love of God because we're going to have the opportunity in our families to show the world around us what God's family looks like. And when that's not appreciated, I want to encourage you to stand. No matter what the cost, stand. This evening, we extend the Lord's invitation. It's not an invitation to make your stand with God not just on this topic, to make your stand with God in life.
to make your stand, to bring yourself and humbly give yourself to God. If you're ready to be immersed into Christ, to lay your life down at Christ's feet and say, I'm yours. To know who your creator is and the power of his words and that you'll obey what he asks of you. Tonight, we'd love to assist you with that. Maybe you've stood with him in the past, but right now you're not and sin is separating and you are to repent of that and confess that and pray forgiveness. We'd love to pray with you. I want to encourage you tonight to pray for wisdom. To pray that you'll have wisdom. And to pray that the Mount Juliet Church of Christ will have wisdom. That we can be a voice of truth, an example of love in a world that's very confused.